Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our must-read daily newsletter. So, have you recovered yet? Two days at Highways UK last week felt like so much longer given there was so much going on. Today on Highways Voices we bring you some of the material we didn't have time for last week and it's brought to you now thanks to the sponsorship of Reflow, Kia Highways, Causeway Technologies, Navtech Radar and Swaco. Highways Voices, in association with partner organisations ADEPT, the Transport Technology Forum, ITS UK and Elkrit. We'll hear about new radar, control room data management and the business perils of breaking into the UK market in today's programme, plus road surface treatments and more from Kia. And we'll look ahead to future events as well. But first... Last Thursday, I was flattered to be asked to host the keynote session at Highways UK. We had a couple of panel sessions, one on net zero and another on road safety, and I'll bring you those on a future Highways Voices or two. But we also had a speech from the chair of the National Infrastructure Commission, Sir John Armit. And in the chat the two of us had afterwards, we talked about industry funding and started with levelling up. Frankly, I don't care what you call it. I think what there is, is a very clear understanding that what we have got to do is try and create more prosperity um, across the country. We don't want to dumb down, we don't want to level down anywhere. What we want to do is actually increase GVA and GDP across the country so that uh, there is real opportunity in every part of the country. And we've been clear, clear with government that infrastructure and particularly transport infrastructure is critical to that. And and frankly, I I haven't heard anything really from government which suggests they don't understand that. And as Rishi Sunak, of course, says that, well, we're going to live by our 2019 manifesto, it was very clear in that manifesto the importance of uh, increased prosperity across the country. So I'm I'm optimistic about both the requirement to do that, but importantly, the role of infrastructure and transport in achieving that. And you talked about road user charging, and it's one of those things that, as a journalist, when I talk to politicians, senior civil servants, some will say to me, off the record, that of course road user charging is going to happen, but the moment you ever want to quote them, they'll run a mile away from you for it. But there was the criticism of uh, the, uh, the charge, uh, the environmental charge in London, where if you've got an older vehicle, you have to pay to to drive in London. And I saw it criticised at one point as it's a tax on the poor for being poor because they can't afford a less polluting vehicle, that they're driving the best vehicle they can afford, but then they're having to pay extra for it. How are we going to ensure fairness in the delivery so that if we get people driving fewer miles, it's not basically pricing out a section of our society. I mean, the interesting thing about the ULEZ zone in London is that in terms of reducing emissions and reducing the number of uh, older vehicles coming in, it has been, according to TfL, very successful. Uh, They haven't got any revenue as a consequence, but actually they have succeeded in reducing emissions, which was the driving agenda for this. The word fairness appears all the time when you talk to the public about any, any system, uh, whether you're talking about energy, whether you're talking about water charges, doesn't matter what you're talking about, people will say, well, I'll go along with it as long as I think it's fair. 
And I think this is always clearly going to be a challenge but because you don't want to finish up with some phenomenally complex system based on ability to pay, etc., etc., the administration of which becomes a nightmare. But I mean, quite frankly, I do not see how we can continue without road pricing and road charging. Most people would agree with the logic. It's more about how is the application. Modern technology will enable us to charge and pay differently by every minute of the day, by every type of road that we're on, remotely measured, remotely charged, deducted from your bank account or whatever other system there might be. And you can obviously make it a lot cheaper in rural areas than you do on people who are plowing up and down the motorway all the time. Already in America, you will see the charge that you're going to pay to go on a, an American toll road changing by the minute according to the levels of congestion as they actually encourage cars on and off the road according to the level of congestion by raising the price or dropping the price. We pay for everything else on the basis of how much we use. So to me, it's just totally rational that we should pay by our use of the road space in the same way. I think all we have to do is, and it's worked very successfully in London and other cities I know, some are looking at it positively, some are looking at it negatively. I think cities are more likely to lead the way than a national system because I think cities can actually move faster than you can at a national level. But we've got to increase the user awareness of this Treasury has got to fill a hole of £30 billion a year from the loss of fuel duty. How's it going to do that? We're all going to pay some way. So do we want to pay more income tax? Or do we want to pay by how much we use our cars and the transport choices we make? I would rather be have it left to me to decide by what choice I'm going to make, when I'm going to drive, when I'm not going to drive, and pay accordingly, rather than just have 2p added on to income tax. So uh, as you can see, I'm a strong believer in road pricing. I think the challenge, as always, is in the execution, but that shouldn't put us off recognising the need. Just a flavour of Sir John's comments in the keynote theatre last Thursday at Highways UK, here on Highways Voices, brought to you thanks to the sponsorship of Swarco, Navtech Radar, Causeway Technologies, Kia Highways and Reflow. Highways Voices with Paul Hutton and Adrian Tatum. So joining me now on our last in the series of Highways UK podcast is Louise McMahon, Strategy and Business Improvement Director at Kia Highways, one of the sponsors of our series of podcasts. Louise, welcome to the Highways Voices podcast. Thanks, Adrian. It's great to be here. So there's been a lot of work done by Kia Highways over the last few years in addressing how you connect with your people, something we discussed on last week's show uh, at Highways UK, which was the theme of your stand. Remind me some of those things you have implemented and why. Obviously, for any business, not just Kia or Kia Highways, without a clear purpose or strategy, we wouldn't have been successful and it's no different for us in needing a strategy to be successful across our business. So back in April of last year to enable us to strengthen our current and future ambitions as a business, we launched our strategic framework, what we term as our house. And this is something that we use to draw on our compelling story, both internally and externally, to promote what our reason is and why we exist. With this year in September, adding a strap line of connecting people, because our strategy enables us to deliver our purpose of connecting people, which is underpinned by our people across Kia and Kia Highways, of which we all contribute to every day through building and maintaining highway infrastructure, which connects families, friends, communities, 
students and businesses and provides the logistical backbone for the transportation of goods and services across the UK. We realised that our purpose was strong, but we realised our purpose was not as strong as it could be aligned to a simplistic human element of which we drew upon the connecting people. So anybody joining Kia wanting to know what Kia do can understand it quite clearly in We Connect People Every Day. Part of your role, Louise, is to to look at social responsibility and the work you do in the communities where, where you are delivering projects, whether that be one off or ongoing how important is is that to continuously deliver that that kind of work massively like huge not only for businesses but for people whether it be personally or the focus they have in their role and also it's understandably and quite rightly government focus areas as well so for us it isn't just enough to build and maintain infrastructure. We want to leave a positive legacy and a brighter future for the communities we work within. So generating social value and being socially responsible is something we are hugely passionate about. We are a national business, but we do have a local focus. So we continue to work with our clients to create bespoke social value plans aligned to the specific need of each local community. Just to bring this into real life and some examples, we became the first highways business in the UK to achieve the social value quality mark SVQM level two in June of this year, reflecting our ongoing commitment to leave that positive legacy in the communities in which we work. And this accreditation is and remains testament to our people's commitment across our business in embedding social value into everything we do. We also continue to remain committed to the social and local communities across the UK and supporting them. When in July again of this year, with the first UK construction industry as key as a whole, to launch a brand new tool to track our spend in areas of social deprivation across the UK. The tool just for information is known as the Local Multiplier 3, LM3, which was developed um, by the New Economic Foundation and will continue to aid us and improve how we can improve and support communities across the UK. We remain proud to have generated over £247 million, and that continues to grow in social value generated from June 2021. And we continue to deliver over 9,656 community volunteering hours to schools and local communities and also support the Making Ground Academy, working on ex-offender rehabilitation and community reintegration. And just to continue to demonstrate our pure commitment, as you can hear, to social value, we are one of the first employers in England to offer apprenticeship opportunities to prisoners following the crucial law change, which means prisoners can now earn while they learn. So other than that, just across our highways business ongoing, we have our Freddie equality and diversity strategy we've got obviously the level two svqm and we are masters in diversity with us being the top two of the most inclusive workplaces to work in the uk louise fascinating insight as ever there um thank you for joining us on highways voices and thank you for your support over this series of podcasts it's been my pleasure adrian thank you very much highways voices the podcast from highwaysnews.com highwaysnews.com 
This is Highways Voices looking back at Highways UK thanks to Reflow, Kia Highways, Causeway Technologies, Navtech Radar and Swaco. Let's go around the exhibition floor now with three quick interviews. In a moment you'll hear from smart video and sensing owner Peter Eccleson and then Michael Vardy who's co-founder of Valoran. But first I met Andreas Hopper of German infrastructure company Hochtief who had flown to Birmingham from Vienna for the event last week to look at opportunities in the UK market. So grabbed a word and started by asking him what his company does. And I've got chatting to Andreas Hopper, who is operations director at Hochtief, and he's over sort of looking at the UK market and seeing how he can uh, bring his product into the UK market. So I suppose the first thing to ask you, Andreas, is what is your product? What do Hochtief do? Yeah, I mean, Hochtief is an international company operating uh, and maintaining assets uh, throughout Europe, basically a construction company by type. But we are having uh, active assets, more than 10 in uh, the Netherlands, in Greece, in Germany, but also in Austria. And I'm currently actually living and working in Austria. We also have a construction subsidiary in uh, the UK. And that's why we actually investigate that the UK market. Why not actually bringing our operation and maintenance skill knowledge from Europe to the UK. We did this exercise uh, the last two years, came to the conclusion, yes, there is a, let's say, appetite for a new entrant, an appetite for new ideas from different uh, cultural backgrounds. And uh, that's why we made the decision beginning of this year to go forward and enter the market. You see the huge amount of conversation. There's, there's clearly money in the UK industry. So why is it taking you time to get into the UK? It's generally not that easy to uh, get, especially in the operation and maintenance market, especially not as a pure subcontractor, but let's say as a, as a contracting party. And uh, that's why for us, it's, let's say, not a step that we can take from one second to the other. Uh, we need to investigate in it. We need to understand the clients better. We need to understand, let's say, this, uh, the whole industry better, get networking appropriately done. And that's why we are not actually, from day one, actively uh, in the UK O&M market. Yeah. So is this our authorities here, what we would say, missing a trick in as much as if there are barriers to get yeah. into the market, are we in the UK missing out on the latest solutions and the best solutions and most efficient ones because of the procurement rules rather than uh, the decision not to, you know, whether or not to use a product? I think generally uh, UK clients uh, on a local council level but also on national level are very open-minded and they have, uh, let's say, they're also very much willing to engage with uh, the private sector. So I found this generally a very good way of communicating. What is difficult, though, especially if you want to get into a contract as a contracting party to the authority, are the entry requirements. I mean, everything starts with a selection questionnaire, and the selection questionnaire actually limits the participants, and it's all about evidence. It's about contract size, and it's about comparable evidence. So it's difficult for, a, let's say, an international company to enter, but as well it's difficult also for, let's say, 
tier twos or smaller companies. And to be honest, most of the innovation actually that the authorities are looking for are coming not only from the traditional tier ones, they're coming rather actually from the tier twos, from the supply chain, etc. So there are, let's say, in this respect, some barriers to entry due to the evidence which is required and due to the, um, let's say, in parenthesis, strict uh, procurement uh, guidelines for the pre-qualification. The recommendation is to soften, in parenthesis, the entry requirements. Of course, you need to have certain standards, especially with respect to financial analysis, uh, with respect to uh, performance. But uh, I would rather see the performance not only as historic, or also, let's say, purely comparable to a very comparable product, but also to have evidence based on performance which is not directly comparable and also let's say from scale if clients are requesting for 30 million pounds annual turnover uh, then it could be the same that uh, let's say is tier 2 is doing exactly the same but on a la smaller scale meaning 2 million yes a new radar from smart micro in germany smart micro you know we're the exclusive agent for them in the uk they're bringing out a 500 meter long-range radar which is part of their premium series of radars for use on highways the radar itself will cover up to eight lanes of traffic so you say for use on highways what would you use it for we've been using the smart micro range now for midas applications this particular radar uh, we believe will be really good for stop vehicle detection in particular and various other classification counts etc etc all the stuff that smart micro is already very good at I'm getting better at. And where is it already placed? Is it on the highways in Germany? No, it's not. It's a brand new product. It comes from their premium range. So it's a tried and tested technology, if you like. This is basically a new antenna design to give us the range. Okay, and it's not the only thing you're showing on the stand. We've got our own Novus data aggregator which works with the smart micro radars and collects all of the use, useful data at a junction or on the highway and we're now introducing our Ipsum traffic back office which we're working with our sister company in in Ireland Civic and we've introduced that to the uh, stand today to show customers potentially how you can display the information in a back office format. And you're proudly showing off your ITS UK awards. Tell me about those. Yeah, we are. We're very lucky this year, Paul. We were at the President's Dinner and surprise, surprise, we won two awards. Uh, one for my technical manager, Richard Quick, who won an award for Frontline Hero. Uh, for all the work that he's done with customers and outside of the business even. Um, during COVID, he was delivering groceries for people. And uh, our other award was for our active travel system using smart micro radars, using our Novus in Plymouth, where we were looking at um, pedestrians and uh, cycle camps. At Valorant, what we do is we help road operators leverage the data that they already have at their fingertips to make their roads safer, more efficient, and also more cost-effective. The way we do that is by helping them connect both through their legacy ITS cameras, loops, radars, but also to connected vehicles, navigation apps, social media, all these novel data sources, and helping them use the prolifera of data to tell a coherent story about what's happening right now on the road. I remember when I used to run a radio traffic news company 20-odd years ago, our editors that were gathering all the traffic information had a lot of information at their fingertips but it was how they could actually put it all together 
and that was the difficult bit which camera to look at when to go and check the floating vehicle data that was in its infancy at the time and so using technology to actually do that donkey work for you allows the traffic manager to actually then be in a much better place to make informed decisions exactly and so for example in one of our clients in spain there was an accident on the road that accident triggered 107 different alerts from our machine vision from social media from navigation apps from mida style loops and what our system was able to do is take those 107 alerts hey all these alerts are actually one event it's this accident and that's what you need to care about and if you attend to this everything else will be solved and that means that they can be much more focused on solving the core issue that is the greatest risk to their network. Now, one of the issues I've always come across when I've advised companies who have really clever solutions is that they go to local authorities. Local authorities love the idea. They, they think this is absolutely great. But the cost goes to them but the benefit is kind of fairy gold that just goes into the wider economy and into social good but they don't get any credit for it on a balance sheet somewhere how do you get around that i mean i'm very glad you asked that so the first thing we actually by providing a system that is light touch cloud-based you know and leverages all these connected data sources we actually reduce the kind of traditional cost of ATMS style systems by an order if not two orders of magnitude. You know, we, the systems can be deployed faster, the expense in investing is much lower, and that expense that they can save, they can save on the effectiveness of their people and on the amount of new ITS they need to deploy. But also, we are starting creating that good faith for them because now we're enabling to communicate with their constituency. Because they can say, hey, there's an accident here, I should alert the drivers. There's a congestion here, or there's a reroute there. I can inform people through different channels that we enable them for them. Michael Vardy of Valoran there on Highways Voices, rounding off three quick chats. You also heard Andreas Hopper of Hockteef, and then Peter Eccleson, owner of Smart Video and Sensing. Now, before we hear from the RSTA, let's look ahead to more events going on. Next week, on Tuesday, I might well see you at the Transport Technology Forum's Autumn Update meeting in Manchester, which is a quick run around all the key issues that TTF is working on, including updates from all the organisation's working groups. I'm particularly keen to hear about electric vehicle charging and from the Spatula Group on connected vehicles. We'll talk more about EVs in a moment, but on Thursday in Leeds, the Adept Autumn Conference discusses place leadership in a perfect storm. Local authorities are facing multiple crises that have been accelerated by inflation and supply chain issues and compounded by the cost of living and energy crises and expected cuts. Sessions will therefore focus on local authority approaches to climate action, skill shortages and alternative finance opportunities that might assist budget gaps. Now on the same day next week there's an event in Birmingham I'll be at run by our friends at transportandenergy.com. Now I caught up with site owner Alec Peachy and before getting into details of the event, I asked him about his motivation for the site. Well, I think that it's very important that both the transport and energy sectors uh, do work together now. Clearly, we've got a lot of government targets being set around net zero, climate change. First and foremost, you've got a deadline of a 2030 ban on the sale of new petrol and diesel vehicles. You've also got, obviously, bigger climate change uh, targets that have been set in law uh, for 2050. And I think that the only way that we're going to achieve these targets is by both the transport and energy sectors working together. And that means a number of different stakeholder groups um, actually uniting 
Whereas in the past, they probably wouldn't have even looked at each other, let alone thought about working together. They now need to remove the silos, collaborate. Otherwise, uh, they've got no chance of um, hitting these targets. And you've got your website that you launched roughly the same time that Adrian and I launched Highways News. You launched transportandenergy.com. You are going sort of one step further than us now by setting up your own event. Uh, That's taking place next week in Birmingham. How's it been going, putting together an event actually physically with people all in the same room? Yeah, exactly. Uh, on the 17th of November at the Birmingham Conference and Events Centre, the Transport and Energy Forum, the idea very much to unite both groups together in person. You know, that's really the biggest objective, if you like, of when we when we launched a brand. I could see that both industries needed to work together more closely in order to accelerate the transition to decarbonisation. We've often talked about removing silos, but I think now so more than ever, it's uh, it's vitally important. Otherwise, you know, there really is very little chance of these targets being met. So really the idea of the event is obviously to get these key stakeholder groups together in one room and actually working out you know, how they can work together going forward, how they can accelerate this transition. Because if the silos remain, it's going to be very, very challenging to, to get there. So we've got obviously a, a range of speakers and sessions and the idea is that we'll be looking at what actions we can take to decarbonise now because often there's a lot of focus put on what can happen in the future but when you think about climate change we've really got to move the needle very quickly and um, there isn't any time to waste and therefore my event will look very closely at what are some of the practical solutions that can be taken and indeed how those stakeholders can work together to accelerate the change. Well, I'm going to come along, but who are you looking to attract? And is there still space? Can people still uh, join you on the 17th? Yes, there is still space, yeah. Um, In terms of the different stakeholder groups uh, that are involved in this, as you can imagine, it it really is a a myriad uh, of different people, different businesses, organisations, companies from, you know, both the private sector and, of course, the, the public sector, central government, You've got to be thinking about vehicle manufacturers, uh, the energy networks themselves who provide the obviously the connections processes for things like EV charging infrastructure, the EV charging companies themselves that, that put out the, uh, the charging points. You've then obviously got local authorities who really uh, sit at the heart of all of this. In fact, you know, they're probably one of the most integral stakeholders, given that they have their finger in all the pies, really, in terms of if you think about a council, you've got a highways department. You've got a planning department, you've got an energy team, you've got procurement. You know, all of these uh, different departments are a very good example of, again, removing those silos uh, and working together on a daily basis in order to, again, accelerate this transition to to decarbonisation. So I think in answer to your question, it's a variety of stakeholders that will be there. And we're actually fully funding local council spaces at this event. So if there are any councils interested in coming along, we're actually fully funding the accommodation and their their place at the event. Details of all of that and all the things I talked about are in the blurb. Look it up at your leisure.
Before we go, let's make one more trip back to Highways UK. Now, on the first morning, National Highways CEO Nick Harris pretty much set the agenda for the event in his keynote speech. One of the things he talked about was a commitment to net zero. So to pick up on that, I chatted to the Road Surface Treatments Association to discuss how they could help with net zero. And I chatted to Chair Keith Brett and first CEO Paul Boss. At the moment, particularly on the National Highways Network, there is the use and replacement of traditional asphalt materials which are very carbon hungry both at, at manufacture and laying and at the disposal stage. Once an asphalt surface has been laid what should then be happening is a life cycle of sustainability so the use of surface treatments to protect and preserve the asphalt below so that over a 60 to 90 year life cycle of a road you end up generating around 20 to 25 percent of the carbon that would otherwise be generated using traditional asphalt. Once you add into that the use of electric or hydrogen vehicles and plant later on whilst I don't think we'll ever get to complete zero we could certainly be into single figures so easily be cutting the life cycle carbon generation by over 90 percent so it sounds like a no-brainer for people to go down this road if you forgive the way i phrased it why isn't it as widespread as you'd hope it would be a lot of it really is just understanding i mean it makes sense anyway if we hadn't got a carbon issue just on efficiency and cost it makes sense because again you can maintain roads for about a third of the cost on a full life costed cycle by doing this on the local roads it is used and it's very much used and the more it's used then the less potholes we get because we're sealing road surfaces we're stopping freeze thaw and that's where we want to go more planned maintenance rather than reactive maintenance on the national highways network it is being used but it is in its infancy so that take up really has only started since the the carbon agenda has been here so i think it will it will happen and we're heavily involved in the the new shw dmrb that will be released end of 2024-25 so that these treatments are in are included in there but it's just that national highways have been a little bit behind the curve because they've got a lot of contracts in place for replacement of of asphalt presently but hopefully those barriers are being lifted now Keith, you're here with two hats on, I guess, because you're both here as chairman of RSTA, but you're also here for Kylie Group. So tell me about what the group is doing specifically when it comes to carbon reduction. Where we currently are, we're going through, we've currently hit stage one, stage two of identifying the carbon reduction breach specific process, such as surface dressing, slurry micro asphalt, retread asphalt preservation and our aim is to by quarter one of next year have the results of those that we can then provide data to back up the information that Paul has just quantified to give real real meaning to how much carbon reduction and sustainability 
that we are achieving or can achieve on a surface treatments as opposed to traditional asphalt. Just about every council has declared a climate emergency. ADEPT are very keen on actually properly quantifying how much carbon is being emitted and how much therefore is being reduced. So consequently, having the right numbers and having these solutions means that you should have a queue of local authorities all around the building here wanting to talk to you. Well, certainly it gives that evidence and backup of how sustainable surface treatments are and how perhaps underfunded they are currently. And it would give a local authority the option to divert some of the the money that they have got into these processes to make the most of carbon reduction and long-term gains over the course of the next 60 to 90 years, as, as Paul suggested. Keith Brett and Paul Boss of the RSTA rounding off this Highways Voices from Highways UK. Thank you for listening and thanks to Reflow, Kia Highways, Causeway Technologies, Navtech Radar and Swaco for their sponsorship. We'll chat again soon. Highways Voices. Join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry.